podcast? I don't need a podcast. I need pictures of Spider-Man. Spider Crimes. We're back with another movie episode. Today we're talking about Man of Steel. Is it a spider crime? I don't know. Stick around to find out. Spider crimes, spider crimes. Reading comic books all the time. Are they good? You decide. When you listen to spider crimes. Hey there, where? These are the spider crimes. No, that'd be stupid. I don't think it would have been dumb. It just would have been weird. Man of Steel doesn't really have enough of a recognizable yeah. theme. Like Superman does, but not Man of yeah, Steel. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, hey everyone, we're here talking Man of Steel. Um, Matt, why don't you say hey and tell us about the first time you saw Man of Steel. Did you see it opening night? I did. Dan and I actually went together. We, but uh, that wasn't that wasn't my first time, though. It wasn't Dan's first time. Dan got to see it with our buddy Will, um, in advanced screening. But Dan and I went at, at midnight all the way out to this theater to see it in IMAX 3D, uh, which was pretty far. It was about an hour away, but uh, it was really awesome. We had a great time. That's cool. I have a I have a similar story. Me and my friend were really excited for it, and I was on vacation at the time with my family in D.C. Just at the same time, he was in D.C. with his family. So he picked me up, and we went to some random theater for a midnight screening, and then we got lost in D.C. on the way home. But we got to see it. (laughs) So let's just start this off with everybody give their opinions on the movie overall before we get into in-depth questions, you know. See, th- this is funny because I think we have like the three different opinions of this movie that like, I think... the general public has. Okay, on that note then, I'll start. I don't like this movie. I was extremely excited for it. I thought the trailers were awesome and I was really ready to love Superman for the first time ever. And I hated it. I think, I think the script is absolutely awful and I've always liked Zack Snyder and given him the benefit of the doubt, but this movie just was too dark and didn't make any sense. Matt? Right. Uh, and then I am in a unique position because I do like this movie, uh, but I definitely think there are some things that it could have done better. Um, I like, I, I, I did enjoy it. Like I, I wouldn't even put myself in the middle ground. Like I, I, I'm more on the side of liking it. Um, but I'm kind of hoping that it becomes better as a result of the rest of these movies, like looking back, it gets better. I don't know. We'll discuss more. Okay, for me, when I first saw it, I thought it was the most amazing thing to ever happen to the world. <laughs> because I am so into Superman. I was watching Man of Steel two hours ago whenever I was rewatching it for this podcast, drinking out of a Superman mug. I was just so excited that Superman was going to be on screen again, that I was just so excited. And when I saw it, it was everything I wanted it to be. Because Dan called me crying after the I movie. Was, <laughs> I... I cried watching it again whenever we, I was watching it yeah. two hours ago. So, when I first saw it the first two times, they were it was absolutely amazing. And every successive time I've watched it, I wouldn't say I've liked it less. I just see what people don't like about it more. That's exactly so, how okay. I feel. So, I, watching this time, I would say I still like it more than I hate it. But there, 
I have a lot. I have a lot of. I, I watch it with more critical lens this time, so I have more to say about the movie than just being a super enthusiastic fanboy about it. That's that's good to hear. And I should yeah, I note guess that and I are kind of in the same place, sort of. You but might when like I it a little more when I initially saw it. Well, when, I'll get into that more later. But I will yeah. say I like it more than I do not like it. Okay. I when the when it first came out, I tried. I liked it. But it was more of me trying to convince myself that I liked it because I was so excited for it. Mm. Right. Yeah. Some cost, you know. You just mm-hmm. put so much energy in, and uh, emotion into it. You yeah. just really want it to be great. I feel that. So there's lots to talk about with this movie. And we're going to start off with its portrayal of the Man of Steel himself. Super. Uh, it is darker. That is for yeah. sure. There are certain yeah. things that happen in the film that are questionable to the character of Superman in a lot of people's eyes. What do you think of the spin that... Screenwriter David Goyer and director Zack Snyder put on The Man of Steel, Dan. All right. So I took six pages worth of notes when watching this movie because <laughs> I have a lot to say about this movie. Yeah. And so, all right, I might just say this now to get it out of the way. I think the first half of this movie is absolutely incredible. The first hour of Man of Steel is absolutely amazing. I agree. And so they do this thing. Where Superman in this movie is portrayed like it's kind of meta almost. It's it plays on the fact you know who Superman is, but they try to make it their own. So I uh, was when I was writing, taking notes. I wrote down if I was ever going to write a paper or a, a book about the Man of Steel movie, I would call it Jesus, Gilgamesh, and existential drama, Man of Steel. <laughs> the first half of this movie is actually way smarter than people give it credit for. It really, really well, really, really well, it does a really good job, I should say. I don't know why I'm mixing my words. It does a really good job of playing up the religious subtext of Superman and, like, the Christ allegory of Superman. Right. And um, there's a lot of stuff about free will versus predetermination, the idea of Jor-El sending uh, Superman to Earth to save humanity, kind of the way God sent Jesus. And there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of existential drama going on. And I think it's really, really, really well done. And I think that part of Superman portrayal is really well, really well done. Um, and I think the problem is, is that they can never decide what they want this movie to be. Do they want this... See, it, it runs into a problem where the first half is like just them... We, we're making a Superman movie. We have, a, we have $200 million and let us make a Superman movie. We're going to do what we want to do with it. So that's the first hour. And then the second hour just goes into full-blown blockbuster because they need to sell tickets and make a franchise out of it. So I think the fir- a lot of the first half of the movie is undermined by the second half of the movie. Yes. And we can go into that more later. But I think a lot of the complaints about Superman's portrayal is just more inconsistent writing than is him not being portrayed properly. Because I always was of the mind, people complained about him being too dark, too this, too that. Um, I just think is Superman's existed for 75 years, and they're trying something new. Like, you can't just make the same... We, we've already had the happy-go-lucky, you know, Richard Donner movies. We've already had, you know, the cartoons and the serials and just 75 years of comic books to tell a certain story. And they just want to try something a little bit different for a new audience because Batman... The Batman movies had just come out, and Batman was cool. Like, he was so cool, and everybody wanted... Every superhero movie be like Batman. So Warner Brothers was like... People like the Dark Knight movie, so let's make that Superman like that. So I think it was just kind of market pressure, and then just the 
the writers they got they got they got Christopher Nolan to be producer and then they got Goyer to write it, which is this is how they got the movie they got is because mm-hmm. I think Goyer's a terrible writer He's personally, and he wanted to put like a darker spin on the, the character. So, but that, I won't even call it dark. It's just more like somber. I I call it a post nine eleven Superman. If that's Sup- interesting. If Superman was created after nine eleven, that's what he would be. Is that character? A lot of these points you just brought up are reasons I don't like the movie and don't like the characterization of Superman because he has been this figure for 75 years. Mm-hmm. We've had that dark character in Batman. Mm-hmm. So we had just come off Nolan's Batman movies and I think what we got was an imitation film. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, well, if Nolan did this, we have to do it like this. Mm-hmm. But you had that against Zack Snyder's kind of over-the-top bombastic action. Mm-hmm. Like, let's blow everything up. Let's mm-hmm. have dark colors. Let's have Superman sinking into a field of skulls. Yeah. yeah. yeah and that, yeah, I mean, that is not helped out by, I think, David Scoyer. David Scoyer. David yeah. Goyer. David Goyer thought his script was a lot smarter than it was. Mm. Because it, it poses those questions in its mm. first hour. And it somewhat plants these seeds. But I thought it was very in-your-face about it. Mm-hmm. And I thought... They tried to make Clark into something that he wasn't and tried to make him into too many things. Mm-hmm. I didn't like a lot of the Christ allegories. I thought they were interesting. Had they not been so in my face, I would have mm-hmm. rather been able to talk to my friends like, do you think this? Or but no, when he's blatantly yeah. in the church or something like that. Um, also, when he, I, I was really into the Christ allegory until he hops out of Zod's ship and crosses, it puts his arms out like he's on a cross and like floats yep. away briefly for five seconds. I was like, all right, you know, like they're definitely playing up the Christ thing a little bit too much. And I thought they, they'd cap it off with him going to see the priest. And like, all right, there you go. If you didn't get it yeah. before, here it is. And then then again they do it. I was just like, all right, that's way too much. But, yeah. Matt? Um, okay, so I pretty much agree with both of you, interestingly enough, which is weird because you guys conflicted a little bit. But um, basically, I if we're just talking about portrayal, writing and acting wise I think Henry Cavill nails it as Clark Kent like all the scenes of him I I think he's just spot on like I I have actually written down there's a wonderful moment in the movie where uh, I think it's when they're first in Smallville uh, and a helicopter gets taken down and Superman goes out of his way and saves like the pilot and catches him and like in the midst of all this action stops just to ask this guy like are you okay and I think that's perfect Superman. That is, ex- like, and, like, the guy, <laughs> I think, like, something happens. He's like, what? And he's like, and, like, then there's, like, another explosion. But Superman stops to make sure this guy is okay after this, after, like, falling out of the sky. Uh, and I think that's spot on. I agree. Um, I think Henry Cavill does a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is why I'm even more excited for the future of this. And I have it, I have it written right here in big letters. I love the scenes of Clark Kent bumming around the Pacific Northwest. I love those oh, too. I love. I thought that whole movie could have just been yep. Clark Kent finding his identity and becoming because it's almost. I was thinking about this. This is almost three different movies in one movie. That's yeah. the so, movie it should have been. Yeah. So it's crypt. The Krypton part I think is really cool, but it's way too long. It's sure. it's it, it adds good. It's a story we never really have been told. You always kind of get the oh Krypton's blowing up and then. Uh, Jor-El sends him off to Earth. 
but you never got the political background, and that was kind of cool to know, and it was cool they explored that, but it goes on for 20 minutes before you even see yeah. Superman. <clears throat> so, the Man of Steel, who, and I, I think they're trying to show the parallels between Jor-El and uh, Clark, or Jor-El and Kal-El, and they're trying to set up how Superman's stuck between two worlds of being Kryptonian and being um, uh, a human, but they never go into it later. They set up a lot. They this movie could have been really smart, like Corey pointed out, but it it plants these really good seeds and never opens the shades to let the sunlight in or gives it water to let it grow. It's just yeah. Here's here's the seed, and then okay, well, let's forget about that later because we we did it earlier. It's okay. People will remember that. Okay, coming off of that, let's talk about the plot of the film. To a lot of people, it was full of holes um to some people it was long but it did have a lot of its moments mm-hmm. and a lot of those moments had to do with clark kent yeah not yes. superman not zod but those moments had to do mm-hmm. with clark kent mm-hmm. going back to what dan said about the first hour of the movie mm-hmm. so matt talk to us about your uh, thoughts on the plot well um we talked about the destruction of krypton being too long uh and i i, I do agree that that's about uh, probably five to ten minutes too long. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's handled pretty well. The The mm-hmm. destruction of Krypton is, like, just as epic, I think, as it needs to be. Mm-hmm. My question, though, is why are they meeting about the destruction of Krypton, like, five minutes before it happens? <laughs> like, the world is falling apart and they're debating <laughs> what to do about it. Like, they're standing there and he's like, "It's, it's we, we're already doomed. We have to send the future away. And they're yeah. like... Like and then five minutes later, this whole place starts coming down. It's like they didn't like. Why did no one stop this? Yeah, is, um, is Krypton that inept? I think they were trying to do a parallel between climate change and Krypton. Uh, That's where I kind of got later. Whenever they, uh, I wrote that down somewhere. Um, yeah, there's just kind of these ideas. Like it's like the only planet we have, and all this stuff. They gave up. They we exhausted all of our resources. There's all this kind of stuff about you, like kind of the earth, and I think it's just like a really ham-fisted uh, environmental uh, metaphor. But um, I think the the best, uh, a better example of the, of the Krypton blowing up is in Superman the Animated Series. The first three episodes are a origin story yeah, yeah, of Krypton, and so what it is is Jor-El's the main character of the first episode, mm-hmm. and he it's all about him spending months and years trying to convince the council that something's going to happen to Krypton, not five minutes before it happens. <laughs> yeah. And they show Kal-El growing up a little bit on Krypton. He's still a, to- like a toddler. He's not a, right. a, a kid. He's Newborn. one or two years old when they send him right. off. So I think that makes a bit more sense uh, to have... Because they want to bring up the struggle of being Kryptonian versus being human, but Clark is Kryptonian in blood only. He's Nothing about him is Kryptonian, except for... Right. The millions of DNA inside him, which is really stupid. We'll get to that later, but um, yeah, we'll get to that later. That's really dumb, and uh, we'll yeah. get to that later, Con- though. And just confusing. Okay, but um, mm-hmm. so that being said, so that's the constru- that's the destruction of Krypton. Uh, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, scenes of the movie is uh, Clark Kent in school, and he's he starts developing X-ray vision, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, he like freaks out and runs into the closet, and his mom shows up and is like, he's like, the world's too big, mom, and that scene. I think is the best it's perfect like Clark Kent is just he's just a kid and he's he's like all these superhuman abilities mm-hmm. and his mom brings him back and is like just focus on one thing it's an island swim to it mm-hmm. you know it's it's mm-hmm. perfect yeah I think that's um, 
Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I think the best part uh, is the flashbacks, mm-hmm. but and like the content of the flashbacks is great. The only problem is they jump back <clears throat> too frequently, and it's kind of confusing when they're going to jump back because it starts off, they have a, a, a uh, visual motif of when there's a lens flare into a transition. It's mm-hmm. a... Uh, or there's like a lens flare in general. They kind of changed the lighting and the coloring, so it's very rustic looking and very nostalgic. And having lens flares and stuff to kind of show it's him looking back on his life. But they kind of just jump into these stories, and they don't really give you a reason why they're jumping into that story particularly. It's only because they need to tell this part of the story. And then they kind of throw out the the the, the visual cue of, of flashbacks, and they just kind of do it again later and later. It's kind of really hinders how the story is told. The editing is probably one of the biggest problems of this story, of this movie. But Matt, go ahead and continue about your scene. Um, Corey, did you have something to say? Or you... uh, yeah, I think, you know, coming off hearing you guys talk about this, and I feel the same, I think this movie is a, it's a, this plot is a great, great Clark Kent plot. And I think the thing that holds it back is that it also needs to be a superhero blockbuster mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been just a great, like, like you were saying, like it could have been just a great movie about Clark Kent becoming yeah. Superman, but then they tried. It, it mm-hmm. had to be so much bigger. And they still could, DC. they could have done both. There mm-hmm. are ways to there do are ways both. Oh, to do absolutely, both. absolutely. Um, That's the biggest problem. Me and that. Matt always used to talk about back in the like back when we were in high school is how interesting it would be if they made movies just or any kind of media just about the superhero, like, about Clark Kent or about Peter Parker. So me and Seraphine always had this idea. The Peter Parker one-man show. Because <laughs> we had just saw Spider-Man Trump the Dark, and I was not a huge fan of Trump the Dark. It was it. cool. But it's just, like, I'm not super into Broadway theater. I am, but I didn't want to mix with my superheroes. I didn't want, them to, I didn't want those worlds to collide. And I just felt like it was really tonally weird and just kind of... It didn't mesh with me, but I always thought it'd be really cool because all the best parts of Charles the Dark are the Peter Parker Gwen scene or Peter Parker and Mary Jane scenes. So I was thinking, how cool would a play be just about Peter Parker? <clears throat> and I think this movie is is really good at being a Clark Kent movie, and then it it really loses itself when it tries to become a Superman movie. Agreed. Um, so uh, anyway, then. My next thing is uh, probably my second favorite scene in the movie is uh, Clark Kent learning to fly. Uh, Dude, that's my favorite scene in the movie. It's so great. Just mm-hmm. him, he's jumping around. He falls. Yeah. It's been done yeah. before. Yeah. But I, it, the scene of him like flying around the earth that makes mm-hmm. me smile every time I see. Yeah, it. me see too. That in the trailer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I know that scene. And I recognize that that's what they went for, but to me, it's just them saying, oh, people are going to love this, you know, we've got to show him failing before he can succeed, mm-hmm. and it was a little cliche. There's a, there's I, a, uh, Jor-El says a line similar, like, they will fall, they will stumble, but yeah. you will lead them into the sun, so they show Clark. Like, it was, it was very glorifying yeah. rather than honest, in my yeah. opinion. That's fair. Uh, but I don't know it, the, the visuals of that scene. I, I enjoy yeah. them a lot. They try really hard to humanize Cl- uh, Superman. Yeah. But yeah, like yeah, Clark yeah. Kent's already human enough. And I yeah. feel like there's no duality. There's no separation of who Superman is and who Clark Kent is. That's a good point. And it, and it really. That, though, I was just saying, part of that. I feel like is just because this is his becoming Superman. That is it's true. Important. That's true. But still, I I kind of treat. Clark Kent and Superman as different characters. And Absolutely. I feel they, well, uh, reportedly, they, yeah. Batman v Superman, it, they are like separate characters. 
good. So my next note is that the movie gets slow in the middle, and I, I think that's the biggest fault. It, like, you, it hits a point where I just stop caring, kind of, mm-hmm. and it. That's why I don't actually even have any notes for that whole section because I was just bored. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, eventually, my other note is there's a scene where in the Daily Planet. So, so this is right whenever the uh, terraform machine thing has landed on the Earth mm-hmm. and has started. Uh, and you see the members of the Daily Planet like seeing this happening. They're like, "Oh mm. my God, this is whatever." And then you know we cut away, and about ten or fifteen minutes later, we cut back, and they're still there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just and yep. that's when Perry White is like, "We got to get out of here." I'm like, what? "This is the Krypton thing all over mm. it. Why did they take so long to decide uh, <laughs> to leave?" So on that note, this is where I was kind of heading with this. I think, as I say, the first hour is fantastic. And it's weird. You think this movie would pick up? This movie dies the second Zod shows up on Earth. Yeah. Yep. It gets the plot completely changes. This tone changes. The story they're trying to tell completely changes because the whole time they're building up this Christ allegory, and we all know that Christ, the the, the thing with Christ is that he sacrifices himself for the better of people. And they're doing that. They have this whole scene. I think is really well done. Is um, Jonathan Kent is almost treated as a prophet in this movie. He's prophetizing that um, he's a very prophetic, pro, uh, prophetic speech to Clark about um, like kind of how he has to like sacrifice himself for the better of the world before he speaks to the priest, who is and Clark is sitting in front of, of the painting of, of Jesus, like speaking to God before he turns himself into um, the Romans. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's like super interesting. They also mention he's like 33 years old, so there's all these really good Christ allegories. And then you think that Superman's going to ultimately sacrifice himself for everybody, but he turns himself into Zod and escapes two minutes later. And, and it's like, really, there's no poetic ending to all this allegory and build up of Jesus. He just kind of, eh, he kind we, of, he needs, he needs to beat the shit out of Zod for, you know, to, for, for an hour instead of, you know, actually sacrificing himself. So I felt so deflated at this point. I was so yes. into this, into this religious subtext and this, uh, Christ allegory. I thought it was so well done at this point. And then Zod shows up and he sacrifices himself, but he gets out of it really quickly with like a divine intervention. And he does the, the crucifix thing. I'm like, all right, man, this, this movie lost me. I was so upset. And then to the terraform thing. Okay, so the terraform thing shows up, and um, they show it starting to destroy Metropolis and like kill tons of people. Yeah. And they cut to Superman just fucking around with the military. They're like, oh, we have a plan to stop this. And he's like, kisses Lois Lane. It's like kind of like, oh, he's going to go see the dam. Like, I just watched people die. And yeah. Clark Kent's not moving. Like, he is, he should have been there. Like, they should just cut, either cut out that scene of, like, the terraforming. They should have at least move the terraforming after. Like, they should, like, show, like, like Superman was on that ship, so he should know they left. So he should fly down, like, as they're flying down. And it could have been better if uh, he gets there at the same time and he warns them that it's happening. Because he can't stop everything before it happens, obviously, because yeah. it wouldn't be an interesting movie. Like, stuff has to happen. And I, yeah. and to me, the terraform thing was supposed to kind of be like the Noah's Ark of the movie. It's a big, like, apocalyptic, biblical destruction of, of humanity that has to be, like, resurrected. And they just screwed that up by having him just, like, be playful uh, right before he goes to save people. Because... That scene where he flies into the terraformer 
and it's like playing that really dramatic music. He's flying up and like up against the pressure of it and destroys it. It's super cool, but it's you're there and you're waiting, and it's just kind of it's super unfulfilling. The whole second half of the movie is so unfulfilling. I think yes. the purpose of the terraform thing was to give the final act this sense of urgency, mm-hmm. like I need to beat Zod quick. Yeah, and like it did that for the that part of the plot, mm-hmm. but back to the Clark points, which you just brought up. It's just, like, ignored, almost. Mm -hmm. The movie, in my opinion, has tons of plot holes like that. Mm -hmm. First off, why... I can't even formulate words right now for how dumb the scene is where Jonathan Kent dies. I despise... I I despise that moment so much. Okay, I found... (laughs) I, I wrote down some notes, and I found... I wasn't trying to justify it. I was trying to interpret it of, of how the directors okay. wanted you okay. to, to take the scene. So as I mentioned before, Jonathan Kent's kind of like a prophet in this movie for, to Superman's Jesus. And there's a scene, Jor-El says a statement that Superman has to embody both the, both the best of humanity and the, the best of Krypton. So to me, him uh, embodying the best of Earth was like, Watching his dad sacrifice himself in order to save other people, which again fits in that Jesus motif of save uh, sacrificing yourself to save Earth, but he never does that, and that like they're trying to show like a humanistic quality, like, a Christ-like quality in humans, and I think mm-hmm. they just did a terrible job of showing that, and it should have been that. Um, I don't even know how to fix that scene because I also, like, I can't figure out how to fix it. I think there's just, I, I know what they're trying to do, but they just did it so wrong. Uh, just don't the, kill Jonathan Kent when Superman's just standing there watching. Right, yeah. yeah. And, like, the just the justification, I think, is that, oh, well, he just didn't want anybody to know yeah. Clark got superpowers. That's a dumb reason. Yeah, no. stupid. He's gonna die. Yeah. It's his dad. <laughs> I, think that, I think it would have worked better if Clark was, like, 12 or 13 and his powers weren't super developed yet. Right. But, he, and he also, yeah. the, they tried to make Henry Cavill look younger, and he did. Yeah, yeah he, he sounded, sounded younger. younger. But he just had a bigger shirt on, yeah. if you noticed. Yeah. He had on a really baggy shirt to yeah. hide his his, ripped ass. He's so ripped in this movie. He I'll, is a good-looking dude. I want to know how he got that ripped. I'm curious. Um, so uh, there's just holes like that in this mm-hmm. movie. A lot of it happens in the third act. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on with specific examples, but the plot as a whole, I think the movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. It's trying to be too many things at once, and it leaves so many unanswered questions and non-logical plot points. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to one big neck-breaking point. <laughs> And that is when Superman breaks the neck of General Zod, betraying everything Superman stands for and setting a new status quo for the Man of Steel within this new DC cinematic universe. Yeah, that is my this. opinion. I, to me, like I kind of like I was like taken aback by it, almost like, wait, really? And like it's shot well. Henry Cavill plays through the anguish of it well. Mm-hmm. I was stunned into silence the first time I saw that in theaters. I was so shocked, Same. like in a, in a good way though. I was like pleasantly shocked. I was like, oh my god, like they like they just did that. That's that's yeah. crazy. I would have liked it better if it was the third Superman movie and we saw our hero driven to a point where this is the only way he could solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And it right. does show the immaturity of Superman a lot in this way, but it also mm-hmm. sets that up for the next movies. He has on his conscience that he is a murderer of one of his own kind and that he can't be this ideal, this perfect ideal for all the other heroes. Now that's probably Batman. Batman still hasn't killed anybody as far as we know. I don't know. Uh, okay. 
So, <laughs> do you want to interpret it first, Matt? Or because I, I just want to, I'll just you present my case. Okay. And because I know you have a lot to say about it, Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I, I've had a tricky evolution on my perception of this scene because when I first saw Man of Steel, I was a big fan of Superman, but I guess I wasn't that into it. So the Superman killing Zod, I was like, oh, okay, that is that's big, that's a big deal. Superman doesn't kill, but I was okay with it. Uh, and then over the years, as I as I've gotten more and more into comics. I'm, I'm less okay with it. And actually, recently, I, I started following Dan Slott, the current writer of Amazing Spider-Man on Twitter. Uh, and he... People, like, tweet him about that scene all the time because he's so against it. And he's made some good points. So I think my final stance on this is I, I'm okay with it because it happened and there's not much we can do about it. Like, I don't want them to retcon it. But they... Like, like, I tried to justify it for so long. Like, oh, but he had no other option. That's the, But that's honestly, it's lazy writing. They could have mm-hmm. written themselves yep. out of that corner. Yeah. He did not have to snap a man's neck to save yeah. that family. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for it. Uh, but but it's, I don't know. It's just, it's not Superman. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Dan? Going off your point, it's not Superman, which is why I don't really like that scene. But, and here's the big but. Okay. It makes content makes sense in context of Man of Steel the movie, the, right. just this two hour movie, not the whole history of Superman. In this movie they are making, it makes sense because it's foreshadowed upon, and so here I'll uh, I'll I'll show you my notes how I got to this point. Okay, so they're fighting, and um, they're fighting, and Zod says to Superman. Either I die or you die. So they're setting up this ultimatum of Superman. Can Superman sacrifice himself to save people, or is Zod going to have to die? Right. Zod's going to obviously die because it's Superman. He's not going to die in this movie. Right. And then, and then they're fighting, and Zod takes off his armor and he gives this very big speech about he, how he's bred to be a warrior and he is the top elite fighter in all of Krypton. And he's, so he says the word "bred" because he wasn't born. He was. Right. D- D- he was created by DNA of the Codex, that really dumb plot oh, point yeah. in this movie. Yeah. And so he says, "I was trained and I was I was created to be to be a, a warrior. Where did you train? A farm." And so it gets to that point, and then you go back to the idea that every single Kryptonian is inside of Superman, and every and like he embodies both Krypton and humanity. So Zod snapping Superman's neck is him being both a human and a Kryptonian. Wait, He's you mean fl- Superman snapping Zod's neck. Yeah, is is him embodying both humanity and Krypton. He okay. to defeat Zod, he had to succumb to Zod's level and kill him. So that's like where he freaks. That's where he, that's where his anguish comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's doing it to protect humans. He's doing it. So he has a flawed view of why he's doing it because he's he's the human side of him is is reasoning. I'm doing to protect people, and Zod's already killed so many people, and he will just kill more people. So if I kill him, I will, you know, stop him. But then he realizes he is no better than Zod because he killed him. But you would think that would be a really good plot arc to go through. They drop it immediately because they uh, cut to him dropping a, 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 a drone in yeah. the airfield. Like, they give you no time to let that scene sink in yeah. and to have any narrative weight. And, like, I had to come up with that my, on my own, that interpretation. I had, to, 
I was sitting there the whole time looking at my notes, trying to think what, how could this do this, blah blah blah, and all that kind of stuff. Putting on the also my like fourth or fifth time watching this movie, so I can not pay attention to extraneous things like all the stuff blowing up and everything. I like pay attention to just the plot. Yeah. And I think I my struggle is this movie is I'm an English major and I have to look really deeply into things and this movie was not written to be that deeply looked into. I think I think all that you just said brings up two very good points. One goes back to Matt commenting on the lazy writing. Maybe they didn't know another way to do this. Maybe they wrote themselves into this hole where there was no other way for him to beat Zod. And that also begs this question. Are we just cranky old comic book fans? And should we take this only within the context of Man of Steel the film? Or are we justified in saying that this isn't Superman considering we've known this character for 75 years? I think it's bit, justified. A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I yeah, think. I agree. But I think it's justified because, like, that's the point of Superman. Like, I, I mm-hmm. get that, yeah, we, we're basing this on 75 years. But, like, if they're going to make this these movies based on this character, mm-hmm. that is, like, his main thing. Mm-hmm. He, also, he can. He can kill everybody in the mm-hmm. world if he wants He's, to. Uh, there's that awesome – I think Dawn of Justice is going to help us because there's that line in that trailer where he goes, if you if wanted, wanted it, it, if I wanted it, you'd be dead already. Yeah. And I, I was just going to say, did Jesus ever kill anybody? Like, <laughs> the Superman's based off Jesus, basically. You know, so, like, the whole yeah. movie's a Christ allegory. I don't remember Jesus killing anybody. Nope. <laughs> so. First stone. Well, yeah. the next couple things I want to talk about I call nicks and knacks. Mm. They're just small things. We'll just each go through and mm-hmm. say one different thing about it. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the casting. I thought Michael Shannon killed it. I thought Henry Cavill oh, killed it. I yeah. thought Kevin Costner was an absolute waste of potential, mm-hmm. especially in his dialogue, because he was the perfect role. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest thing in the casting for me is the lack of chemistry between Amy Adams and Henry Cavill. Mm-hmm. Amy Adams is completely wasted in this movie. She is. And- I, was, I, I wrote down, this is a really good cast. They got Christopher Maloney from uh, Law & Order SVU. He has, he's like, kind of like cast as like, military. Like, he is also... The cook from Wet Hot American Summer, yes. which is one of the yeah. greatest comedic roles of like the mm-hmm. last twenty years. Yeah. Sure. And uh, so, Amy Adams, Academy Award winning actress, wasted. Diane Lane. I think the best thing about Diane Lane and uh, Kevin Costner is they're treated like parents rather than paternal figures. They, I think they act like how parents would really act about their child, right? Which yeah. I think is missing from a lot of movies like this. But again, she's kind of wasted. She doesn't really do anything. Kevin Costner completely wasted. This could have been like the movie we were like, oh that- man. They could have brought back Kevin Costner. This kind of seriously, this kind of role. that's like the part of this movie I was most excited for. With those three, I was like, I can't wait to yeah. see him as Pa Kent. And then he just—they don't give him anything really to do. He Russell Crowe, yeah, Russell Crowe is kind of like—he's cool in the beginning. I remember I was thinking like him and Michael Shannon together was really good. I want—I was thinking it'd be cool to have a Russell Crowe, Michael Shannon, Zod versus Jor El movie. Sure. Um, Lawrence Fishburne again wasted. Doesn't do it. Like the whole Daily Planet stuff. He is fine, but I feel like he just like. They, they want me to really care about him during the destruction of Metropolis, and I really don't. There's not really much to care about in that scene. Same, then they, they kind of waste, not waste, but like, then like, they have the guy from House of Cards, Michael Kelly, he plays uh, the other Daily Planet dude, and then they have uh, the guy who plays Emil Hamill, he was on the West Wing, he was in Jurassic Park too. I can't think of his name right now. But uh, they're like all these really good actors in this movie, but like, the writing is really bad. That's mm-hmm. the, the thing is, you, you like, the best actors can't always take bad writing and make it great you know matt you got anything to add uh casting um uh, I, I mean i think you guys have said it all i think that the casting 
they've picked these wonderful actors and the writing just wasn't good enough for them, I think that's going to probably be a strength in the future of the DCU because it seems like they've pulled their act together after this movie a little bit. Let's take a quick moment to talk about the cinematography of the film, the way it was shot, because it was pretty different from your average, not only Superman movie, but superhero film. Mm -hmm. Dan? Yeah. Okay, so... The first hour, well, not including Krypton. I'm, I'm gonna, I kind of keep Krypton out of the the first part of the movie because it's its own. It's a prologue, basically. It's kind of its own thing. It's all thing. CGI. <laughs> it's all CGI, yeah. Um, and uh, but I think the parts where they're flashing back, and in, even in the parts with in the first hour where Clark's kind of just wandering from place to place trying to find his um, his uh, his place in in life. Uh, it's very beautifully shot. They always compare it to Terrence Malnick's Tree of Life. Remember when it's first came very out? similar. Yeah, yeah, it's very rustic. I used that word before. It's very just real. It feels very grounded and very, but in a good way. Not like the they're trying to be gritty and dark. It's like they're trying to tell a human story. And right. It was really. I think that's so beautiful. And then they transition. Then the second hour becomes a big blockbuster. It just looks like any other blockbuster. Right. But the first hour, like the first part, cinematography is wonderful. Matt. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with Dan pretty much. I don't have much to add. It's just like, it, the, it's, the movie is shot really well. It's very pleasing to watch. Okay. I disagree. I don't think the movie looks very well. I feel like it's really oversaturated and really, really dark in a lot of places that it shouldn't oh. be, especially for mm. such a figure like Superman. Mm. No, I what I do really appreciate about this film is the use of handheld camera yeah i thought man of steel did it well in this kind of indie sense of it especially in the flashbacks mm -hmm. and then winter soldier is the only movie i can think of that also made really good use of it for its action scenes yeah uh i actually want to add I, I i didn't realize i, I forgot to factor in color palette yeah because that is actually one of my mm -hmm. biggest problems in the movie is yeah it's, it's ugly gray Mm -hmm. I had to turn up the brightness on my TV. It's an to, ugly movie to, yeah. to see it better. Yeah, like there was someone made a YouTube video a couple months or a year ago, which was "What if Man of <clears throat> Steel was in color?" and it was like shocking. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Because like they had this costume, and like if you look at the onset pictures, it's so much brighter in person, mm -hmm. but they like had it so muted. It's like, why did you do that? I don't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But. Another big factor in this movie that we've already brought up a lot is the score. Matt, you're a big uh, film score guy. How's this? How, how do you feel about the Hans Zimmer pieces in Man of Steel? My first note I have written is music is great. It is. Uh, I agree. Mm -hmm. I think I think he knocked it out of the park with like the theme, and I think the motifs work really well. I'm actually taking a um, history of film music course right now, so we're going through the origins of how all those things came about and. This movie like did a wonderful job of like mixing themes, developing themes. I think the music is definitely one of the stronger points of this film. I agree, and I think it's the best superhero movie score since Spider-Man. Mm. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. There are so many moments. I, I will listen to this to this song, like the soft piano tunes that like are the melancholy Clark growing up pieces. Mm -hmm. The the big Hans Zimmer action pieces, it's it's great. It supplements the film so well. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's the... I don't really know much about music uh, scores in movies to really say anything more than what you guys said. So, yeah. Fair uh, enough. I liked it, you know. <laughs> uh, my last knick-knack I want to talk about is the fact that because of this movie, I wanted to go to an IHOP after mm -hmm. I stopped by my local Sears, oh. passing by 7-Eleven, yeah. while talking on my Nokia phone, which so many people use, that didn't seem Can out I? of place. <laughs> Alright, I, I have a thought on this. 
Um, it's, I, I know what yeah, you're going to say, and I agree. But, but Matt, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I know what you're going to say, and I agree with you. All right, well, I don't... I don't I, okay, so... First off, they're in Kansas. There's probably an IHOP, a 7-Eleven, and a Sears, and all these places in Kansas. Yes. And second, they all get destroyed. Like, everything that's, like, a product place gets destroyed. That's so true. So maybe they didn't really care that much about their product placement. Maybe it was, like, a Colin Trevorrow yeah. thing against yeah. product yeah. placement. Or a Fight Club thing where they beat up the, yeah. the Volvos <laughs> or whatever. You know, it is what it is, but yeah. what I did like was that little fat kid that he saved as a kid yeah. that was his bully that grew yeah. up to be the okay, manager of the IHOP. about him for a second? Do why, it, man. Why the hell is his mom so mad at Clark Kent for saving her son's life? Because she's I've God-fearing. It's it's it's, it's, it's a I've metaphor for... Yeah. Times, I know. I cannot figure out why she's so angry. It's because she's afraid of God. It's like, the th- it's, like, it's like they're in Kansas. These are God-fearing, like, yeah. what kind of... Methodist, maybe I don't know. Really, really evangelical people probably live in Smallville, Kansas, and they're very God fearing, and they just saw the face of God in front of them. But then they don't do anything with it. They do all this yeah. great stuff to this religious subtext. I'm so excited for, it, and then it's just like, nope. This okay. movie sacrifices logic in so many places mm-hmm. to promote its own weird yeah. take on Superman. Christianity. Yeah, allegory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, before we move on to the last point, anybody want to say anything else? Okay, so I have three things to add. Okay, the first thing, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is they do this really cool kind of, not allegory, but kind of a um, uh, metaphor of Superman being a myth or being a legend is whenever Lois Lane is trying to track down Clark Kent, Mm -hmm. she goes, she follows him, because stories about Superman have been spreading through word of mouth, and it reminded me of Gilgamesh, how Gilgamesh is like the first story ever told because it passed out through generations through speaking and through uh, right. oral storytelling, and then someone finally wrote it down. So Lois Lane is now writing down the tale of Superman. Yeah. Maybe that's just me looking super into this movie, but I thought that was so cool. I, I was like, like geeky. I was geeking yeah, out no, while watching yeah. it. Um, another thing is that scene where Superman's at the end when Superman's playing as a kid he has the red towel on and the piano's playing yeah that's great I cry every time I watch that's that that's a great scene. moment and then I lost five bucks I thought that was gonna be the final shot of the film I bet and I, my yeah. friend and I bet on things like yeah. that I thought it was too but I think the end the, uh, the end shot is also pretty good the one where he's on yep. the Daily Planet that's also super Superman you know it's like, that's like the epitome of Superman and then the last oh, yeah. thing I wanted to say the thing I, I think I realized the thing about watching this movie, why I like the first half so much, is it takes Superman as seriously as I do. Like, it treats Superman like a okay. real, almost literary figure and a real academic subject that can be investigated yeah, they don't above him it. just being a superhero. He, he could be this, uh, uh, this almost Christ-like figure. He could be this mythological above, uh, like, in, the human- in humanity and above humanity. And it takes him seriously as a subject. It takes, like, we are making a serious subject film, character drama about Superman. That's what I love about the first half. Yep, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. All right, to wrap things up, Matt, why don't you comment on where Man of Steel, it was the first step into this DC Cinematic Universe. What does the future yeah. look like? Well, uh, next Friday, we get Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, obviously. And it looks like, as I said earlier, that they seem to have taken a lot of the criticisms for Man of Steel and have factored those into the planning of the future of this. Like, it being too dark and not fun enough. They're, they've put some fun moments in the trailer for this, and not to mention Suicide Squad coming in August. It looks like a blast. That's uh, true. That's a good point. 
the color thing also I feel like is the same exact way. Not so much with Dawn of Justice, but with Suicide Squad looks very bright. Like <laughs> in all seriousness, it's almost like Suicide Squad is made to be the anti Man of Steel, which we'll see how that goes. I'm excited um, for it. Mm-hmm. I'm Me thrilled. too. Uh, but Dawn of Justice, we've got an all star cast. Uh, supposedly, Affleck is the best live action Batman to to, to date. Uh, and also, apparently, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, which is obviously a different take on it than we've seen in the past, is also very uh, one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard that he was great. I didn't like him in the trailer. We talked about that one episode, right. but I heard he was great. Yeah. So Dawn of Justice is going to be. I think that's going to be our first telling thing. But they have. They're committed, and I, and I give them massive credit for that. They're starting filming Justice League the beginning of April. Yep. Wow. I mean, I, three it all. We've said this before. A lot is riding on Dawn of Justice. But I also read an article, and I sent this to Dan a month or so ago, that that basically proves why there's no possible way for Dawn of Justice to flop, and why DC is just going to move forward with this. And I think it's going to be great. I think we'll see you next week. What was the reason? <laughs> uh, that it won't flop. Yeah. Well, they just pulled out a whole bunch of math, like. Okay, uh, I don't care. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> you you like, lost us at yeah, math. math. I don't know what that is. Well, in short, even the lowest grossing superhero movie would break even for this movie. Yeah. Oh, no, it's not going to flop financially, but yeah. critically, yeah. I mean, pre-sales Everybody have already... I They've been higher than any other superhero movie. I don't know if they're on par with Force Awakens, but right. it's selling well. Yeah. This is a thing I've noticed is that people who are older are really excited for this movie. My dad says everybody he works with is super excited for this movie. So I think it's a movie that um, maybe not youngish, like teenagers are talking about, but people in their late 20s and early 30s are yep. really excited for this movie. I really think DC dominated the market until like the late 90s. Marvel also, Marvel almost fell apart in the 90s mm-hmm. after the Image Comics things happened. Yeah. And everything before that, DC ruled, in my opinion. And now, the past decade, yeah. 20 years, we've seen Marvel come to prominence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as the future goes, we don't really know, but we'll see in a week. So yeah. stick around here, because maybe we'll do a Dom Justice episode. I think uh, that's we, the plan. Maybe. Yeah, I would uh, love to, for sure. <laughs> um, as always, uh, I've been Corey. I've been Daniel. I'm Matt, and my only regret is that uh, we didn't get to talk. We spent so much time talking about Man of Steel, we didn't get to talk about Spider-Man in the Civil War trailer. We're not doing it. Screw it. I'm ending the episode. Follow us on Twitter at Spider Crimes. Visit our blog on WordPress. Find us on Facebook and the Instagram. Tell your friends. Let us know how you like the episode. Go enjoy Dawn of Justice. Go enjoy the weather outside. Mm -hmm. Go have fun. Enjoy yourselves. Goodbye, everybody. Live your life. Get out. I don't want to hear it right now. Spider crimes, spider crimes, reading comic books all the time. Are they good? You decide. When you listen to spider crimes, hey there, where? These are the spider crimes.